Well, welcome everyone. It's so, I'm glad to be back with you. We, uh, it was a special time. My dad, brother, and I went hunting last week for some elk. It's the first time that we've had some time to spend just together in quite some time, and that was amazing. The not so amazing part was this, that if we would have seen as many elk as we did people, it would have been an amazing trip, and we would have stood an amazing chance at getting something, but we didn't. Uh, man, I was amazed. Probably 80% of the people we saw were like Vermont, East Coast, Wisconsin, Michigan. It was crazy. They all congregated in the one spot that we thought we were going to find all on our own, and we didn't. But it was a great time. So glad that you guys are here. Hey, before we get going, I just want to pray. Um, Brandon, who once in a while leads worship uh, here, found out that his brother's wife passed away suddenly. Um, so I just want to take some time to pray for him, his family, his brother, uh, just tragic. So God, we just ask this morning, God, that you would bring comfort and peace to that family. Uh, God, I cannot imagine losing my wife. God, I just pray that you would be with his brother, with their kids, with that family, God, that you would bring a peace that passes all understanding, God, that you would remind them that you're near. God, even in the darkest moment of their life, God, would you somehow show yourself faithful? God, I just ask that your spirit would intercede in ways that words cannot. God, I pray that you would strengthen them in their weakness, that you would comfort them in their pain. God, and you would take a horrible situation and show yourself faithful. God, my heart just breaks for them, so be with them this morning. Would you give that family peace? God, would you comfort them in the way that only you know how? We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So glad you guys are here. If this is your first time, it's going to be a little different weekend. Um, we have been studying, we went through the book of John, the gospel of John. It took us one whole year, uh, so we buzzed right through it. But this morning, we're going to talk a little bit vision. So if this is your first time this morning, just forewarning, it's kind of a different Sunday. We are going to jump into the Word, however, about halfway through and look at Ephesians chapter 3, about what Paul talks about spiritual strength for the church in Ephesus, because I really believe in this next season that God is calling us to do the same, to be a people that are built on spiritual strength. But before we get there, we're going to do a quick run-through of what God has done. We're going to be open and transparent with where the resources have gone, where they have been spent, and then we're going to spend some time talking about where we believe God's calling us into this next year, and then we're going to jump into the Word. So just so you know, if this is your first time, so glad you're here that you made it to the business meeting and we can roll forward. <laughs> anyway, who are we? If you're new here, I just want to start with this. I get a lot of questions on, man, Veneration Church. I don't even, every time I tell people, hey, uh, check it out, it's venerationchurch.com. They're like, huh? Will you spell that for me? Venera? And so just so you know, this is where the name Veneration came from. When I was still in seminary, uh, we were just praying through some things, and honestly, I thought God was going to call us to a church that maybe needed to be rebuilt, and maybe we would just redo everything, give it a new name, everything, and God had different plans. But I was praying through and thinking through, what does it look like to come before a holy God in worship 
And he brought me to Hebrews 12, 28 that says this, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And therefore, let us offer to God worship that is acceptable with reverence and awe. And so I was contemplating this word reverence, like what does it mean to come before a righteous, a holy, a loving God in a, in a posture of reverence, in a posture of awe? Because God said that's the worship that's acceptable, is this worship with reverence and awe. So it's real simple. I went on Google and I typed in synonyms for reverence and veneration came up. Veneration means a profound reverence or respect. So I started Googling Veneration Church, and lo and behold, I'm sure it'll shock you, there was not one anywhere in the world. <laughs> so what did I do? I went on GoDaddy and I bought every domain name for venerationchurch.com, .org, .church, everything. And they were super cheap because no one else had ever wanted that name. And then I went and bought all venerationworship.com, venerationworship.org, because hopefully one day we'll produce some worship out of here that will come under that as well. But all that to say, if you're wondering where the name came from, that's where it came from, Hebrews 12, 28. And that's who we want to be, are a bunch of people that worship God with reverence and awe because he is worthy of it, and that is worship that is acceptable to him according to the Bible itself. It wasn't my clever idea, it was God's. The next thing is our mission statement is this, if you're new, we exist to see all people dwell in the fullness of God through salvation in Jesus Christ and ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. That's our desire. And we're going to see that this morning, even in Ephesians 3, that all people would dwell in the fullness of God. This is a church for all people, of all backgrounds, of all struggles, of all addictions, of all trials, of all everything, that all people would come to dwell in the fullness of God through one person, and that is Jesus Christ, and that we would ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. The vision is very simple. We desire to see God move in this place through a surrendered people bringing revival to the Flathead Valley and beyond. We're praying for a great awakening. We're praying for a revival because God wants to do it through a surrendered people, as we're going to see today, who are more concerned with what he is doing in us than what he's doing through us. Once he moves in us, he'll move through us. But our prayer is this, that God would bring revival to this place because we desperately need it. Think about the number of suicides that have happened just in high schools in this valley in the last, I don't know, four months. People are hurting. There's great pain. There's great struggle. There's great uncertainty. And we're asking God to do something miraculous that only he can do. We can't bring revival. We can't bring a great awakening. Our gifts and our talents, it can't do it. But God can, and he does it through a surrendered people who are wholly committed to him. And we're believing him to do it. The last thing is this, if you're new or you don't know, our church is built upon three pillars. It's very simple. I was actually joking this morning. I walked in and saw that Cougar Athletic Pillars. And I said, man, we ought to just put our pillars one on top of each one because this is our home too now. No, but our pillars are this, prayer, the word, and worship. 
Everything we do in this church comes from that. Prayer, we want to be a people that are surrendered, that seek the face of God, that fall on our faces before him and ask him to move and praise him for what he has done. Worship, we want to give him worship that is acceptable with reverence and awe. We don't want it to be a distraction. Our lives are worship, whatever that looks like. So prayer and then the word. I promise you this, that at Veneration Church, we will always be grounded upon the word because I am too dumb to bring anything before you of any significance that will do anything. Trust me, I know. But God's word is the power to save. God's word is the power of salvation. God's word is our roadmap for life. And we will read it and we will dive into it and we will preach it within the context of that of which it was written. The scary thing about what has happened in this culture is there's a whole bunch of eisegesis coming from the pulpit, and that's just a fancy word for saying this. Oh, I'm going to open the Bible, and what does it say about me, and how can I make this one verse fit what I want it to say for a very cool sermon series? And we neglect the context by which it was written. And when we do that, we do a disservice to the word and a disservice to people because we can't be matured in the word if we're making the word say what we want it to say. So I promise you this, that we will always preach the word here. And I'm not against sermon series. Please hear, I'm not like this anti, we'll probably do a few. In fact, I know we're going to do a few. But they're all going to come from the word. But the main thing we're going to do here is just preach books of the Bible. <laughs> I tell people all the time, man, the Bible is the greatest sermon outline ever written. It's amazing. I can just open it. The outline's there. I just got to figure it out. So we're grounded upon the word. All right. We want to take a little bit of time to share with you what God has done in the first year as a church. We launched on September 13th in the Hilton Garden Inn and Conference Center. Now, please hear this before we go into this. I want you to know this, that there's going to be some numbers here. And numbers are great and they're not great as a measure. The reason they're great is because every number represents a person. And every number represents a person that God is moving in and through. They're not great in that sometimes we look at numbers and we start this comparison game of like, oh, well, man, they're running 500. Man, they're running 3,000. Man, did you see this? Did you see all that? So please hear my heart. These numbers are just really a representation to kind of give some visual effect to what God is doing. But it is no, it, is, it does not determine all that he has done. In fact, he's done far greater than the numbers will show. Because he's worked in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. And he's doing things in this valley that we cannot do. So please hear me. These numbers are not for the sake of like, oh man, that's amazing. It's just to show like God is moving. Like he continues to move, and he will continue to move in the future if we honor him. So here's the first thing I want to say, and that we know of, that have been indicated to us, there have been six professions of faith for the very first time in the first year, which is amazing, right? Like people that were far from God that have come to know God. That's amazing. This was one that I struggled with because I'm an evangelist at heart, and I'm like, man, God, like, I'm just being honest with you guys. This is what I catch myself doing. I thought there'd be so much more. God, there's so many people hurting. And while six is amazing, it's stunning. If one person were to come from death to life, we would celebrate and we would praise God and give him the glory, right? 
And as we look at this church, I think, praise God that he didn't give us a whole influx of new believers because we were not ready to handle them. We were not ready to disciple them. We were not ready to walk alongside of them. Because if he would have brought all these people, what would we have done with them? But I do believe this in the next year that we have built a foundation to now we are praying into this next year that God would bring great conversion growth. That God would save the lives of people who are hurting and far from him and that he would give them life. We are praying into that and I pray that you will join us in praying into that. This is amazing all that God has done. But there are people that are addicted, that are hurting, that are hopeless, that we have been charged to go reach. So six is amazing. I just want to say this. This was a card that we found in a Bible. This is one of those examples that while this may be six, we have no idea the number of people that have surrendered their lives to Jesus that we don't even know about. This reminded me of it. We found this a few weeks ago, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read one little section of it. He, this, whoever it was, wrote some things that God was showing him through a sermon and uh, just some things to himself, and he must have forgot the note in the Bible, but it said this, one little section of it was, I am tired of controlling my life and my destiny. I give my life to you, Lord. Amen, right? Like, that's amazing. Someone that we had no idea about that God was working in their heart. All right, number two is this, overall attendance. When we launched in September of last year, uh, our overall attendance in September was about 90. I think this number may have gone up a little bit, I don't know, but in September, overall attendance went to about 240. Kids attendance when we launched on September, in September was 15. Uh, I think the number says 35. A couple weeks ago, I think we had like 40 or 43 kids in kids ministry, which is amazing. And by the way, I want to say thank you to Allison because all the things that happen at kids ministry are because of her. Like we would not have a kids ministry if it was not for Allison. So thank you, Allison, for investing in these kids, pouring into them because it doesn't go unnoticed and God's using it in incredible ways. I mean, I'm so encouraged to hear that kids are leaving this place and, and telling their parents what they're learning and parents are excited about what their kids are learning. It's amazing. Kids' ministry is exploding because God is doing something here. With that, we, are, we have amazing volunteers. I want to say this. With, will you raise your hand if you serve in kids' ministry on some capacity in this room? I know there's lots serving in there right now, but thank you guys for serving because seriously, it wouldn't happen without you. Uh, as we move into this next season, we're already running out of kids' classrooms, space. We need more teachers. We need more people that want to invest in kids. If you're interested in that, please fill out a Connect card and put it in the box or talk to Allison. And you have no idea the impact you will have on these little kids. These kids are the next generation. And the fact that we can pour into them with the gospel is something that we should not take lightly. But I'm just telling you we need more volunteers because we actually a couple weeks ago we had over our capacity and we're going to have to start either turning kids away or splitting a classroom or something. Like we need people to serve in that capacity. Thank you for those of you that serve. If you feel like God may want to use you in that way, please talk to one of us. D groups or volunteers serving, this is amazing to me. In September when we launched we had 20 volunteers. In September, I think this is more now, we have over 
80 people serving faithfully in this church every other week. That is incredible. Whether it be kids or set up or um, greeting or worship or whatever it may be, there's over 80 people in this church serving faithfully. Thank you if you are serving because this has not happened without you. Seriously, from the bottom of our heart, we are grateful that God is using you in ways that you will not even know. God is using you. The reason this person wrote this is because of you. Because you create an environment where people can come and worship, where they can hear the word, where they can go into kids. It's all because of you. Thank you for serving. D groups, we launched in the spring. We had five groups last year. We had about 60 people in them. We just launched. Uh, it's starting this week, actually. For the fall, we have seven groups. And I think we have 100 or somewhere around there, maybe 100, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. But uh, it's amazing. We've almost doubled people in small groups the second go around. If you're not in a D group, I want to say this. D groups are discipleship groups. There should be some sheets around you. It's not too late. You can get plugged into one. In fact, I think the Mayhew group is still has room for some people. If, if you're not in a discipleship group, it's our intentional approach to community, and it's huge. We heard amazing stories through D groups last year. Amazing on how God was doing it. If that's something you're interested in, you can see the info tent or fill out that card and we will get a hold of you. We did a men's event. We had 30 men at that. We had a women's event. We had 50 there. We did a church picnic just to get together. We had about 70 people there. This one is amazing. We did a sports camp this summer where we had 65 volunteers and over 200 kids show up here to go to a sports camp and they heard the gospel every single day. It's amazing. I shared this a few weeks ago, but if you weren't here, I want to share it again because it was amazing. I'm not going to use the kid's real name, but we'll call him John. John showed up at camp the first day, and uh, one of the leaders said, hey, John, what would you learn today? And he said, I learned that Jesus loves John. And he was kind of sad. She could tell something was going on in the home maybe, but he was just kind of a sad kid. The second day she asked him, same thing, kind of down, what did you learn? Jesus loves John. Third day, same thing. Uh, Jesus loves John. Fourth day, the last day of the camp, he, there's something different in him, she can tell. She's just not really sure what. And she asks him, hey, John, what did you learn? And he lit up in his face and he said, John loves Jesus. That's amazing. That's what it's about. People coming to know Christ at a very young age, it's amazing. Service projects, we had five of them last year. We had over 100 volunteer hours given. Christmas Eve was our first big uh, church event. That was 173 people, and Easter was 241. Uh, that's amazing. Like I said, numbers are arbitrary, but all that to say, God is doing something here that is not normal. I'm telling you. I was at a pastor's retreat this week with pastors from all over the country. Church planners, pastors of big churches, small churches, all over the country. And I'm telling you right now, what God is doing here in the first year is not normal. Don't take it for granted. He's doing something that is remarkable. And it's him that's doing it, not us. I mean, yeah, be faithful. Preach the word. But God is doing something. Don't take it for granted. We have four people on staff, paid staff. Uh, me, Tyler, 
who's the executive pastor, Marcus, who's the worship, op worship and operations pastor, and Allison, who is the kids director. Um, with that, as we, this is going to be the finances for the first year. This is September through August. Total giving in this church has been $398,220, which is amazing, stunning for year one. Out of this, staffing expenses, which is payroll, staffing development. We haven't had much staffing development, but like when Tyler and Alicia were coming up, we covered all that, plane tickets, so recruiting, meals, if we have meals with people or whatever, that's all lumped into this. $146,592 is spent towards staffing. Marketing is print marketing, website, internet marketing, all sorts, like our uh, billboard, that's in marketing, $8,667. Administrative fees are legal fees, communication, uh, so internet, all that, banking fees, insurance, accounting fees. We do all of our accounting, by the way, before I forget this, through an organization called Dime. They're a church accounting firm, and they do all the numbers. They run all the books. They charge us, I think, $544 a month to do that. So that is lumped into this administrative as well. $18,772 has been spent on that. Worship services, which is equipment, all this stuff that you see, uh, supplies, streaming services, licensing, recording stuff. Uh, we got some recording stuff for Marcus because he's an incredibly gifted man. And can we just say thank you to Marcus for all that he does? <laughs> Seriously, Marcus, the worship is incredible. Like, God has given you a gift, and we are completely blessed by it because I know everyone in this room is blessed by your, you using your gifts, so thank you. And with that, I want to say thank you to Tyler for D-Group stuff, too. You have no idea how hard he works on D-Groups. It's not easy. <laughs> the administrative side, getting everything together, meeting with people, training leaders, getting all that. Like, can we say thank you to Tyler for everything he does as well? So worship services, $34,480 have been spent. Ministries, this is children's ministry, men's, women's, small groups, or D-Groups is 8,575. Outreach, so this includes missions. We give to Childbridge as uh, a local mission. We, we uh, give to them every month because we believe in what they're doing, finding homes for foster kids. We support that as a church. We love that they do that. Uh, that's in their uh, community outreach events as well as in here. That's $16,074, which by the way, I wanna say this. When we decided to do Beast Feast, we thought, this is going to cost some money, but God's going to provide. We said, do we tell the church how much we need, or do we trust that God knows? Now, if you've been here, we know, you know that you can give a designated gift towards Beast Feast. But I want to say this, you guys are amazing, because we've had almost $12,000 given towards Beast Feast to cover everything that has needed to be covered. It's amazing. Facilities uh, is $15,185, that's rent from the hotel to here. So total expenses in the first year as a church, totaled $248,345. Now we had had some money given before we launched, this is amazing. So in checking, we have $39,466.64. In savings, we have $150,007.24, which is amazing for a church that's a year old. 
Like, that's amazing. You guys don't realize that's amazing to be a church that's a year old that we have saved $150,000. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving to what God is doing. I want to say this. Outside supporters for this church, if we were not to have any outside support, we would be self-sustaining right now, but it would be tight. Outside supporters of this church have, are giving $9,516.67 a month. This is various churches that support us. This is some individuals that support us, um, some people that I had talked to before we launched. So all that to say, like, God is doing amazing things. If these people dropped off, we would be self-sustaining, but barely. It's amazing to see what God has done. And thank you for those of you who give faithfully and invest in this. Because this doesn't happen without finances. It just doesn't. And it's going to get more expensive as we grow. So where we're going. First off, can we just praise God for what he has done? Where we are going is just the general direction as a church. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> it's pretty simple. We're going we're gonna to worship. We're going to preach the word. We're going to do outreach. We're going to do service stuff. In fact, sometimes I think less is more in regards to what the church is called to do. Sometimes we get so scattered in all these things that we lose focus of what's the most important, the advancement of the gospel, the building of the kingdom of God. So... General, we're just going to do a whole lot of what we've already been doing and believing God for a year of conversion growth. The second thing we're going to do is we are getting, we're hopefully soon, we've been talking to a couple here at the church um, about launching a youth group. He has done youth ministry in his past. Uh, he's done some things like that, so we're in the process of that. I don't know what that looks like yet, if it's him, if it's not. But we're starting that conversation because we know that in this next season of a church, we need to launch a youth group. So just so you're all aware, that is coming. We want to reach these kids. We want to reach, I mean, the suicide rates, it's heartbreaking. So hopefully in the next few months, we'll hopefully be rolling out what that looks like as a youth group. We also believe that we need some office space for this next year with some warehouse maybe on it or something that we can utilize for youth, for men's, for women's ministries, uh, for some classes that we would love to teach. I mean, I would love to teach a class at some point, like how do you study the Bible, uh, different stuff like that. Like we need space to do that. And so we've been looking into some office space and just praying into God, where do you have us that we could have some space for Marcus and to practice worship and do that stuff. Like we just need space. That is not, that we, that we don't have like, we have this for a Sunday, we need office space to do a whole lot of other things that we're believing God wants to do. We want to start praying into land and future, what, what it looks like permanently. Let's just start praying into it. If you would join us in that or, I mean, we're praying into that, what God would have for us in the future, where he would have us to plant, where he would have it put us down and we trust that he knows Worship team growth, we would love to grow our worship team. Our worship team is amazing. It's phenomenal. Like, I stand in awe. Like, man, I love this. This is what worship is, reverence and awe. And with that, if you have a gift of worship or you have some sort of a talent in that, we would love to talk to you. These people that serve, serve so faithfully, so consistently. Whether you play the drums or the guitar or whatever, come talk to us. Like, 
Use your gift for what God wants to do here. The next thing is kids' ministry growth. I've already mentioned it, but I think we're going to need some more classrooms or some more volunteers because our kids' ministry is literally exploding and we don't want to turn kids away. Think about it. If a kid comes and the rooms are all full and they're just packed out and he doesn't get or she doesn't get to go to class, like we never know how that might impact the rest of their eternity. These kids are learning about God in these classrooms. It's not a free-for-all. It's not a bunch of games. It's intentional. While there are some of that, we are intentionally discipling young people. And we need you to be a part of that. And you have no idea the impact that you will make. Another thing we're wanting to do in this next year is to do an international missions trip. We've been talking with Mike Myers a little bit about that. He's done tons of mission stuff, and we're kind of looking into the spring maybe or format, doing something to look in that direction. We want to be on mission locally and internationally. So we don't know what that looks like yet, but that's one of the things that we're hoping to do in this next year. And the last thing is this, just growing in community and figuring out ways to reach this valley with the gospel. It's real simple. That's what we want to be about is how do we reach people with the gospel? And with that, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. We're going to need spiritual strength for greater unity and greater effectiveness. Don't be naive to the fact that the enemy wants to throw a haymaker into the side of the face of this church because it's making impact. Don't be naive to that. It happens through division. It happens through little conversations that happen here or there. We want unity. We want effectiveness. And don't be naive to it. I'm telling you, the enemy wants to destroy what God is doing. He wants to. And so we need spiritual strength. What God is doing here is not normal. And I'm not ignorant to the fact that he's trying to throw the haymaker in the midst of the ring. He is. How does he do it? He causes division and strife. He divides us over issues that are not gospel issues. See, we need to be united in what matters, and the gospel is primary. Paul writes this, if you have your Bibles, to the church in Ephesus, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. As he prays for spiritual strength, he says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that what? Surpasses Knowledge, interesting, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's the deal. We're believing God for big things this year. But hear this. There's nothing more important than your own walk with Jesus. 
If God is not doing things in you, you are very limited in what he can do through you. If God is not doing things in us in this church, we are very limited on what he can do through us in this church. So while vision is great, honestly, it's amazing, but hear this, I am far more concerned with what God is doing in your life, what he is doing in your heart, what he is doing in your soul than anything that he's doing outside of that. When God begins to move in us, things begin to happen. See, the church makes the most impact when it's full of a bunch of people who are walking with Jesus. Nothing else matters. <laughs> Did you know that I would view this almost as a failure if we exploded in numbers and we had this giant church one day and we had new buildings and all this, yet we had a bunch of people that were just lukewarm that were like, oh yeah, that's kind of my side thing, that Christianity, but it's cool to come once in a while. It, it's kind of a show. I kind of like it. It'd be a failure. Our prayer is that we would be a bunch of people that are deep in our faith, that love Jesus, that, that say, God, I don't care. Whatever you want to do through me, that's your thing. What I'm focused on is what you're doing in me, how I'm meeting with you, how I'm walking with you, how I'm talking to you. That's what we're concerned about, is a bunch of people that walk with Jesus. See, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus is the same as my prayer for this church, and there's four things that we can see. Number one is this. And my prayer is that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit. We see that right in the text. See, what God has done in this church has little to do with us and everything to do with him. Where his spirit is, where his spirit is moving, so his power follows. Our power comes through his spirit, not our abilities. Did you know the Bible says we can quench the spirit of God? And when we quench the spirit of God, the, the power of God is not unleashed. But the interesting thing is Paul is praying this for the church in Ephesus. He's saying, man, I'm praying for you that you would be strengthened with power in his spirit the Holy Spirit is not a ghost, he's not a phantom, he's not a scary word. He is the third person of the Trinity, and he is the power of God. And he moves in ways that we cannot move. Paul is saying, man, I pray that you won't quench the Spirit, that you'd be strengthened in his power. Because when you're strengthened in his power, the gospel advances in ways that we cannot Believe. And it's interesting that Paul prays this, that God would grant you, it's right in the text if you don't believe me, verse 16, that God would grant you to be strengthened, meaning he doesn't have to, but he chooses to. It's amazing. That God would grant us to be strengthened in power in his spirit. Why? The answer is right here, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through that's the reason he grants power, that our hearts might be strengthened in the gospel, strengthened in Christ through faith. Hear this. The beauty of the gospel is this, that all you have to do is believe. Faith, being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see, the Bible says. Just believe 
that Jesus is who he said he is and you can be transformed in a moment. It doesn't say, it doesn't say that Christ might dwell in your hearts through all of your good works. Through you trying to measure up, through you not making a mistake, through you not falling to that addiction the 54th time, to you, none of it. He says, come to him in faith, believe that he is the son of God, and he will set you free. If you're in this place this morning, and you are far from Christ, hear this, that the reason Jesus came was because you and I needed a savior. We were lost without him. We were far from him, and he came to take the death that I owed, and he hung on a cross, and he was buried in the grave, and he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death to give us life. And he says, all you have to do is believe. It's amazing. It's the gospel. And Paul is praying that we would be strengthened through his spirit. This word dwells. See, nothing carries more weight and nothing else matters than Christ taking up permanent residence in your heart. This word dwell in this text literally means permanent. It's not saying that Jesus would come and go in and out of your heart and as you please. It's saying, no, that he would dwell there. We went hunting this weekend. We were staying in my brother's wall tent, and that was our temporary dwelling. My permanent dwelling is at home with my wife, but we were in a temporary dwelling. Paul is saying that he doesn't want Jesus to be in the temporary dwelling of your heart, but to dwell permanently within you. And when he dwells permanently within you, then you know that you're saved. Then the power of the God can come and the spirit of God can move. But in American Christianity, we have a whole lot of this, man, I kind of like Jesus when I want him. He can dwell in my heart whenever I want him there. Paul is saying that, that, that so that Christ may dwell in your hearts permanently through faith. So here's the question. Does he dwell in you? For if you believe in faith, then he does. And if he dwells in you, you have been given the fullness of the spirit of God. The second thing he prays for is that we would know the love of Christ. We see that in verse 19. Paul is saying, knowing about Christ does not mean that you know Christ. He says, I'm praying for you, church in Ephesus, that you would know the love of Christ, not just in this head knowledge like, oh, yeah, I got that. I understand what he did. I, I understand that he did live at some point, that maybe I know that he was a historical figure. No, it's saying like, that you know, that you believe without a shadow of a doubt the love of Christ. He's saying, I'm praying that for you because if we don't know the love of Christ, what good is all the vision in the world? It's of no value. See, knowing the love of Christ is much more than a knowledge about him. Paul says the life, the love of Christ, see it in the text, surpasses knowledge. Crazy. Basically, what he's saying is, you know, church in Ephesus, I know a whole lot of you know about this Jesus guy, and you probably have a whole lot of knowledge about him, and maybe you could even defend your faith to someone who is questioning and doubting, and maybe you can run over them with a freight train in your knowledge. And you know what he says? 
It ain't about knowledge. It's about relationship with me. It surpasses knowledge. This love of Christ, to know the love of Christ is beyond being able to just explain it to some other person to sound Christian and theological. It's that you know the love of Christ for you. If we don't know the love of Christ for us, we are missing everything. It's his love that he hung on a cross. It's his love that he came to redeem. It's his love that he has set us free. And often we just view it as this knowledge to be obtained rather than a life to be gained. See, a lot of us can have a lot of knowledge about the gospel and a lot of knowledge about God, but if we leave it there, it's worthless. The gospel is not a knowledge to be obtained. It's a life to be gained. It's the fullness of life that we cannot have apart from him. And if we don't know the love of Christ, we cannot live in the love of Christ, knowing it beyond knowledge. See, I pray that you know, that I know the deep, unending, sufficient, incomparable love of God. When you truly know it, you can't fully explain it. That's why Paul prays for strength to comprehend it. He didn't say, man, I pray for all the strength that you can explain this to all the heathens out there what the love of God is. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He says, man, I pray that you would be able to comprehend, that you'd be fully able to grasp the love of Christ for you, not everyone else. And so often we take this and we're like, man, I know I can tell everyone about the love of God, but we don't truly believe it in ourselves. My prayer for this church is that we would have a bunch of people that know the love of Christ. See, as I've said, the love of God is not a knowledge to be obtained or an idea to be explained, but a life to be gained. And it's amazing. Learn to rest in the love of God, not based on your merit, but his Not based on your power, but his. Not based on your pursuit of him, but his pursuit of you. He's pursuing you because he loves you. So the question is, do you truly know the love of Christ beyond knowledge, beyond comprehension? Is he your life? Number three is this. We see this right in the text in verse 17, that we would be rooted and grounded In love. Ouch. This one can be rough for me. See, we can't be rooted and rounded in love until we know love, until we know Jesus. Rooted literally means firmly rooted or fixed. Immovable is what this word means. It means Grounded means established or strengthened. Paul is saying that we are to be rooted, firmly planted in love. Not in knowledge. Not in our ability to argue the gospel. Not in our ability to bulldoze someone because we have all the theological answers. But Paul prays that we would be rooted rooted and grounded in love. I think we have this for the screen. I just want to read it. What does it look like to be rooted and grounded in love? I'm going to let Paul tell us in his letter to the Corinthians. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, oh, oh, there's that knowledge word again. And if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have and deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Man, this sounds a lot like Jesus if, I'm, if my mind is triggering, right? It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Hmm, it seems like we talked about that a couple weeks ago with Jesus and Peter. But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he says this, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Man, there's that knowledge word again. For we know it in part, and, it, we, prop, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I became a man. I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall now know fully, even as I have been fully known. And then he says this, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Every time I read this chapter, I think of two things. Jesus is love. The Bible says God is love, and he fulfills every one of these. And then I think, man, I fail a lot. <laughs> But the beauty of the gospel is that he has forgiven that. We're not called to be perfect, but he's given us the, the roadmap for what this love looks like, that we'd be rooted and grounded in it. See, so often in ministry we do things in the name of love, but it doesn't come from a heart of love. We do a lot of things like, oh, yeah, I'm serving these people in the name of love. Oh, it's so annoying. I can't feed them over. serving these people. Why can't someone else feed them the food? Oh, yeah, I love you, bro. I love you. Can you believe how annoying that guy is? Yeah, man, you want to go get lunch? Oh, so annoying. Like, we do all these things, like, trying to portray love in this facade of love, but it's really not coming from a heart of love. Why? Boils down to my whole point. Probably, if you're like me, you see a comparison of, I haven't been with Jesus. The more I'm with Jesus, the more I become like him, the more I want to be with him, the more I want to live like him. But so often in the church we talk about being with Jesus, but our busyness and our business and our lives get all in the way. And I know it all too well. It's like, man, yeah, I've, I didn't spend any time with God this morning, but I got all these other important things. And what follows is a heart that is usually not filled with love, usually not filled with grace, usually not filled with compassion. Paul knows that. That's why he's praying that we would be rooted and grounded in love. See, we must be rooted and grounded in love for one another. And all the vision in the world for this church is null and void if we do not love people well. And the only way that we love people well is if we have been with Jesus. So here's the question. Are you rooted and grounded in love? And the last one is this that we would be filled with the fullness 
of God. Paul prays it. Sounds very familiar to our mission statement. We exist to see all people dwell in the fullness of God through salvation in Jesus Christ and ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. See, what if we were a people that were filled with the fullness of God? Not someone who is filled with ourselves, but filled with him. Filled literally means to make full, to make complete, that we would be full in the fullness of God. What if we were walking around in, his, in fullness and in wholeness to who God created us to be, not full of ourselves and our accomplishments and our portfolios, but full of him? See, when we're full of him, our mentality is not what's in this for me, but what can I offer to him? When we're full of the fullness of God, our mentality is not what can my wife give to me, it's what can I give to her? When we're filled with the fullness of God, it's not what can my family or my friends give to me, what can I offer to them? This idea of servanthood, oh, it sounds like, the, like Jesus maybe, maybe just a little bit. How the Son of God came to serve and not be served, but we often flip it. Well, I just want people to serve me. We miss it. If we are filled with the fullness of God, we will desire to love, we will desire to serve, because that's who he is. Dare I say this as we wrap up. We cannot be full of ourselves and full of him at the same time. It doesn't work. There's only room for one. But that's how it works sometimes. We have this conflicting thing of, man, I really like this and I want some of God and I'm trying to mix them. As we talked about, I don't know, months ago, I gave a sermon on oil and water and how they don't mix. No matter how you try, they don't mix. They just keep swirling, they bubble and they don't do their thing. It's the same with this. We cannot be full of God and full of ourselves at the same time. It doesn't work. It's oil and water. That's why Paul is praying that we would be filled to the fullness of God. If we are full of him, our mentality changes from what can I get to what can I give. That's how it works. And as we move into the second year as a church, I pray that our mentality is not what can this church give and offer me, but what can I give and offer this church for the sake of the gospel. That's the only way this thing works. It's the only way it happens. Is when people from all walks of life say, you know what? I'm going to invest my gift. I'm going to invest what I've been given into what God is doing, not for my sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. See, this church does not happen without an army of people giving and investing into what God is doing. I could stand up here and give you all the vision in the world. In fact, probably if I spilled it all, you'd think I'm crazy and never come back. <laughs> None of it matters if we're not walking with Jesus. None of it matters if we have a mentality of what can I get from this place and nothing about what can I give. And hear this. When you give of yourself, your gifts, and your talents, God does things in your heart that you never thought were possible. 
You're filled with abundance of joy. You're filled with the fullness of love. You're filled because when you serve, when you're in it to serve and not be served, watch. I promise you as God does something in your heart that I cannot explain. Because that's how we're wired to not just take but to give. So I'll ask again as we move into the second year, what, as you're thinking about it, what, don't view it as what this church can give to you but what you can give to this church for the sake of the gospel. I love how Paul finishes this. If Marcus and the team want to come up. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to what the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ through Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. See, I believe God wants to do fulfill this promise. He wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more. He wants to do amazing things, but we must be a people that are devoted to him first. Because if we're not, we may see some cool things, but it won't have the internal impact that it would be if we were a bunch of people sold out for Jesus and focused more on what God was doing in us than what he was doing through us. Because once he starts to do things in us, he begins to do things through us. It's inevitable. Where we often get it reversed is we look for all the things we got, want God to do through us. God, I want you to answer this prayer. I want you to do this in my business. I want you to do this in my family. God, do it. Do all these things, these huge things. They're amazing. Do them, God. And if you're like me, you have to get hit in the head with a wrecking ball about 1,400 times for him to remind you, hey, Luke, newsflash, buddy. What if I did all these things that you wanted to see me do, and what if you were no closer to me than when you began? It would all be worthless. I'm asking you this morning. As we were praying this morning, I said, you know what? My prayer for today is not that people would leave like, oh, that's cool, yeah. I mean, the, the little pieces of vision that, that is going on in this church. By the way, we're, we do things slowly, we do things well, so there's lots of other things that we want to see done, but if we don't do the little things well, we'll never get to the big things. So there's little pieces of vision here and there. We're building towards something. But hear this, my biggest prayer was not, oh, yeah, because I could have stood up here and given you a pump-up sermon about all the vision that we want to see God do, and yeah, hoorah, yeah, hooray. But I said as we were praying, my prayer for this morning is each and every person in this room would leave with one thing, that they would desire to be closer to Jesus when they leave here than they walked in. That they would learn what it is to rest in his love, to be filled with his power, to be filled with his spirit. Because when that happens, when we're a church of a bunch of people that are seeking after Jesus, God will take care of the rest, trust me. And you know what the beautiful thing? It's gonna look way different than anything any of us could have dreamed up. Because he is working and he is doing things and he is faithful to his people that serve him obediently. And when we're that kind of people, when we're that kind of church, look out. Because guess what's going to happen? 
the Spirit of God is going to burst forth in ways that we could not manufacture nor produce. A great awakening is going to come upon this valley and suicide numbers are going to plummet and people are going to start finding out who this great King of glory is. When we become a type of people that God can use and he can infiltrate this community with, look out, gates of hell, because we're coming for you. Because Jesus is on the throne and he's on the move and we're just a bunch of people that say, I don't know. I just love this Jesus guy and I'm watching him do things that are blowing my mind. That's vision. The vision is not where we're going as a church. The vision is where we're going individually, where God's calling us to and watch as he produces the vision. Will you come before him this morning? On your face, on your knees, believe him to do exceedingly and abundantly more. But will you leave this place committed to walking with Jesus? That's all that matters. We're gonna enter into a time of communion now. If you don't have a communion cup, uh, you can raise your hand and Tyler will get you one. But I just wanna say this, if you're in this place and maybe you don't know Jesus, this is not for you, but it can be in a moment. If you'll just say, today is the day that I'm surrendering to God, that I'm surrendering to Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord, this is for you. It can be the day of freedom, redemption, of hope, of purpose. Just come to him and say, God, whoa, I need you. I believe in what you have done and I'm giving my life to you for the rest of my days. And he'll set you free in a moment. There's no magic prayer. It's believing in faith. But I want you to hear what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 before we take communion. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread and we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup in the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he says this, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is a beautiful moment as a family to remember the body of Jesus that was crushed on our behalf and his blood that was spilled for the forgiveness of sins. So before we take this, I wanna take one minute in the quietness of your chair I just want you to spend some time with God, do business with God if you need to do business with God. If you need to just give your life to him for the first time, do it in this moment. And then we'll take it together. God, I thank you for this bread. I thank you for the remembrance of what you have done for us, God, that your body was completely crushed on our behalf. That you went to the cross, that you hung there, not because you had to, but because you desired to, because you loved us. I thank you that you hung on that cross, God, to pay the penalty that I deserve to pay 
so that I might be given life, God. So as we take this bread, would we remember your crushed body for us? And God, as we take this juice, God, it's just a remembrance of the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of sins, God, that we would be a people that were far from you, yet were brought near. That we could be a people that, that were destined to be separated from you, God, but through your blood were united with you. And that this is not our home. So God, as we take this juice, God, we remember your blood that was spilled for the forgiveness of sins that we might be set free, God. And for that, we praise you, we thank you, we give you honor and glory, God. And we say we are here for you, we are yours, God. Would you do more in us than you do through us because you gave it all when you spilled your blood. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen.